In this episode of Ask Paul Kirtley, we are going to be talking about fires on a rock. What to do when group morale gets low, magnifying glasses for lighting tinders, dangers of exposure to wood smoke, and the differences between traditional scouting and modern bushcraft. Welcome, welcome to episode 62 of Ask Paul Kirtley and I am in the Cairngorm National Park in Scotland where I'm here for a few days to do some hiking. I had hoped to be up a bit higher today but it's been quite windy. Yesterday was horrendously windy, it's a bit less windy today and it's supposed to be uh, less so tomorrow so hopefully I'll be up um, on the tops tomorrow but today I'm more down in the glens and in the woods and it's beautiful I'm not complaining at all it's been a sunny morning it's coming up lunchtime and I thought I would stop and record an episode of Ask Paul Kirtley I've only got my little compact camera with me today and so if there's any jumps in um, continuity um, it's simply because this little camera doesn't record for much longer than about 12 minutes before it decides it wants to stop and the battery doesn't last very long either so um, if it seems a little bit more raggedy than normal if you're watching that's why but hopefully you bear with it the sun's out at the moment but I can see there's some cloud coming in as well so um, the rain that's forecast for later this afternoon does look like it's coming in so that's why I'm stopping now to do it rather than my usual sort of towards the end of the day and also um, if you're watching the sun's probably going to be on and off my face um, but my face isn't the important thing it's what comes out of my mouth that's more important and that's what you're here to listen to and so without further ado let's get on with the questions so the first question is about fires on rock and this is from George and he says hi Paul I recently watched both your feather sticks and Bowdrill Island videos I noticed that both fires were lit on large pieces of rock I've often seen ground rock or whatever it's called uh, question mark in brackets damaged from campfire with cracks flaking and blackening do you think it's something we should avoid doing or does it not matter? It'd be nice to hear your opinion on the matter. Many thanks, George. Well, I think that's a good question. And I think anything that we do with fire in the outdoors is going to leave some sort of impact, whether it's we're just burning fuel, which could be used by nature for something else, whether it's nutrients, whether it's um, food for grubs and beetles and home for insects um, and therefore food for birds and all of these things we do need to consider and also the effect that we have on the ground and as much as uh, we try and leave as little trace as possible of our fires both in terms of environmental impact but also aesthetic impact because we don't want to go into the wild and it look like there's been five million campfires there and it's being trashed and used by lots of people even in places that are relatively well used we want to go and you know one of the attractions is to go and feel like we're you know even if it's a little bit of suspension of disbelief feel like we could be the first people in that place or it definitely has a wild feel to it so there are many reasons why 
we need to be careful with our fires and obviously I, I can't do a complete treatise on that here but I think we all know that and I think you watching this or listening to this know that that we have a responsibility those of us that have a campfire um, whether it's overnight or whether we stay for longer and uh, we have a responsibility to be uh, considerate and thoughtful in our use of that um, particularly in this day and age um, when there are an increasingly large number of people going out into the wilds and then there's a the whole leave no trace movement and I have some issues with some of the things that they teach and I'm not going to get into that right now um, because there are there are in in short and it's not just leave no trace and I've talked about that before in the past as well um, there are environmental impacts to anything that we do with our leisure time whether it's we're going into an area and using resources there or whether we're taking resources into an area and using those resources because they've been extracted from the ground manufactured you've carried them in you might have transported them there um, you've driven there you've transported that equipment there um, you're using um, petrochemical fuels perhaps rather than having a fire but there's an environmental impact to all of these things and i've talked about that in previous Aspore Kirtleys and i'm not going to talk about it at length again today because that's not the question the question is about fires on rock and there are a couple of videos that George is referring to which are part of my um, online elementary wilderness bushcraft course um, and there's a couple of videos that are floating around there out on the internet that I put out for free to give people give people a taster of, of the quality of the of the videos uh, and lessons in that course um, as well as just to share them because they're, they're nice videos um, both of those videos were filmed in Canada the ones that you're referring to um, the course as a whole and um, the content was created in the UK in uh, so everywhere from the south of England up to not far from here in Scotland actually um, in Sweden and in Canada and it is very much meant to be a broad base of skills that apply in the northern temperate and the boreal in particular although the the, the application of, all of those skills is is much broader than the area that it's filmed in um, but I just wanted to give a taste of how widely applicable a lot of those skills are. So yeah, the feather sticks and the bow drill um, videos that you're referring to were filmed in Canada. There were other um, fire lighting bits that were filmed in other parts of the world, but those two were filmed in an area that is the Canadian Shield, which is a large area of really ancient uh, bedrock, which is close to the surface. And anybody that's canoed in that classic canoe country um, knows what that's like. There's very thin topsoil in most places. Um, it was scoured by glaciation in the last ice age and um, those grooves and channels that are full of water and that are fantastic to canoe are, are partly a result of that and then of course you've got um, the, the, the rivers and lakes and it's just a fantastic environment that the canoe is completely at home in and where we filmed um, was uh, in, a, in a really good canoe area and we filmed on um, areas that are um, accepted campsites camping areas on those routes and what you'll find on a lot of canoe routes in Canada is that there's a little enclave that's sort of carved out of the bush or it might be on a on a promontory that gets a bit of a breeze so that the insects aren't too bad um, but there's a reason why the campsite's there and you typically camp on those campsites and they're not they're not big sites they're typically often in the provincial parks they have a restriction of nine people maximum on those sites 
and even so you'd struggle to get that many uh, people um, there with tarps and tents some of them are that small and there's normally an area where they want you to have a fire or a fire has traditionally been uh, set and there are a few reasons for that one is um, you don't want lots of different scars and marks and therefore where that fire um, area has been is where people typically have the fire and that's the best thing to do so you concentrate any damage and any coal and any charcoal and etc in one place equally they don't want you you know parks in general and also just common sense says that don't put your fire in the woods where you've got very thin loamy soil and um, that's easily um, inflammable particularly when it's dry because it's largely made up of pine needles and another light detritus like that it's not a heavy clay soil it, it's not wet and then it has roots of coniferous trees in there things like uh, white pine and jack pine and um, black spruce and, and um, those native North American conifers and they've all got shallow root systems as do the native conifers here I'm surrounded by uh, Scots pine here um, it's relatively easy to set fire to their root system so you don't want to be having fires on the earth either where that's possible so rock is the best option in that circumstance and having the fire on the rock where people have had those fires for generations is what I do when I'm there and that's exactly what I was doing in those videos so there it makes complete sense it's part of the tradition it's part of the accepted practice it's the least worst place to have them in terms of wider potential damage to the environment and that's why when in Rome I was doing exactly what's considered to be the best practice in that environment. Um, other parts of the world um, going out onto a, an isolated outcrop of rock in this part of the world and having a fire on it probably isn't the best thing to do and um, there are other options here but in that environment that was the best option which is why that was shown that way. Um, but it's a good question um, it's very very difficult to cover all eventualities in a video or even an Aspal Kirtley and not leave some potential option for one environment out. That's why you need to um, think carefully, you need to research, you need to look into what people do, what's acceptable, what's the best practice in an area. Um, I could clearly give longer answers to some of these questions but then people say well these these sessions these Aspal Kirtley sessions are too long your videos are too long um, and that's the difficulty we have these days of making something which is engaging that people are going to watch that people are going to want to watch from beginning to end and put enough information in there that they can go away and be responsible in applying the skills and for anybody any of us that make videos whether it's a professional instructor or an amateur that's putting out um, a documentation of their adventures on YouTube um, I think we all bear a responsibility to make sure that we're putting that side of the things that side of things forwards as well at the best we can so hopefully that answers the question George um, and uh, any more follow-up questions to that or comments um, you know where to get me for questions send me an email or any of the other methods Twitter Instagram hashtag AskPaulKirtley or if you've got comments on my answer go to PaulKirtley um, .co.uk find episode 62 of Aspal Kirtley and leave a comment under the episode on my blog love to hear your thoughts on that
All right, next question. This is from Danny Barrett and it's via email. And um, his question is, hi, Paul, I've got a bit of a psychology question for you. I'd like to know when you find morale is low in a group uh, that you are with, how do you keep yourself from being sucked in and affected also? Do you have a mantra that you keep uh, that you use to keep positive mental attitude when the chips are down? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this subject. Keep up the great work you're doing, and I'll see you next year for another Frontier Bushcraft course. Yeah, good question. And again, a broad one and a big one, and I probably won't touch on every possibility and every eventuality in this answer, but just a couple of um, thoughts uh, to throw out there. I'd say one thing is it depends whether it's a group that I'm with, so a group of peers, or whether it's a group that I'm leading. Um, and I, there's a definite distinction there, although experience with one clearly overlaps and informs the other and can, can benefit how you deal with it in any situation. But um, yeah, I think if you jump back to why morale tends to get low on trips, you can start to maybe head some of those things off at the pass um, before you even start, particularly if you're in a leadership position. Um, you can think about what's going to be difficult about the trip and actually have good daily briefings certainly but even a trip briefing before you set off and like this is going to be the tough bit guys this you know get the map out uh, you know pour over it in a you know in a nice warm environment when you're not stressed a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or whatever the situation is where you where you're kind of briefing the team before you even set off it might be even before you've left the country for another country okay this is the route that we're planning to take um, these are going to be the tough bits. It's rough terrain, it's steep, it's exposed, um, tough white water that we're going to have to negotiate, long portage, whatever it is that's going to be tough. And you should be thinking about that as a leader, certainly. And even if you're planning a trip with your mates, you know, you want to be thinking about that too. Which are going to be the tough bits of this? Which, which, where are the potential problems going to be? Um, all of that should be in your planning. And then you can be honest with people and say, these the, the guys and girls, this is going to be the tough, this is, this is going to be the tough bit. This is what I expect to be tough here, here and here. Um, and then people have already got that in their mind that without overblowing it and making people fearful of it, clearly um but they've got like okay that 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 day is coming up in two days time that's the day paul said was going to be tough we've got that big climb to do we've got that big portage to do we've got that long day along that lake that we've got to we've got to cover uh, to get to the next campsite or whatever it is and then that then sets the expectations i think morale often gets low because expectations are mismatched with what the experience is and that's part of it I think the other thing as well is just the physicality of doing a trip, whether you're hiking, whether you're canoeing, whether you're snowshoeing, whether you're cross-country skiing. Um, there's a physicality to it which, um, if people are not used to it, or even if they've done it before but they've not done it for a while and they've just sort of forgotten, we're very good at remembering the good parts of trips and forgetting the shitty bits of trips. And 
you do get sore feet or sore knees or sore back or arms or depending on what you're doing um, things ache muscles hurt um, you know I've been hiking up here for a few days and I've not done I did a bit of hiking in Australia over um, Christmas and New Year um, but I've not done a lot of hiking in Scotland uh, when was the last time I did any walking in Scotland October and that was only a couple of day walks uh, interspersed with other things mainly canoeing um, so I've not been out hiking long days over rough terrain for quite some time and I tell you this morning I felt it after the long walk that I did yesterday but then you get into it your muscles loosen up and it's just it, it's just knowing that that's normal that yeah you're going to feel a bit sore and tired particularly at the beginning of a trip if you think about longer trips you're going to have um, the most weight that you're going to have at the beginning of the trip because you're carrying your own you're carrying food you might be carrying fuel you've got the most weight at the beginning and you're also as prepared as you might be for the trip you're going to get into the rhythm physically and mentally as you go and it will get easier from that respect even if you get tired and a bit fatigued um the pack weight's going to go down because you're going to eat it um, whether it's a portage pack or a backpack whatever you're doing hiking canoeing skiing and um, that gets easier um, you get into the rhythm of it the other thing that of course can affect morale on the trip is just a clash of personalities people can just be like ah, I just don't want to be here anymore with these people they're pissing me off that person's irritating me they've got this bad habit they keep telling bad jokes they won't shut up and I want to watch the wildlife or, or whatever it is but again that's about group management that's about saying okay you know this section we're going to be quiet because we're going to look for wildlife or um, you know when we're in camp can we all get some firewood first please before we go off and set our own personal camps up so that whoever's ready to, to light the fire first has got everything they need there and are not having to run around doing it all themselves, feeling like they're the one that's doing all the work. Um, making sure things like um, washing up, um, cleaning up, packing things away at the end of the day is either divvied out or the jobs as a whole, you know, somebody does the cooking, somebody does the washing up. All of those things, just avoiding that resentment, that's good. Um, and then weather, of course, that's another factor that can really affect some people that if you're sort of biting into nasty conditions every day headlong into you know persistent rain or strong winds or whatever yeah that that's about what's going on up there as much as anything um you need the mental fortitude and again you want to be encouraging um you want to try and let people understand that we're all in this together that it's tough for everyone um and sometimes it's just a case of sitting down and talking to people and talking through it and just being a, a logical foil for them or allowing them just to talk. Um, they could have things on their minds um, and all of those things help. Um, but yeah, it, it's often when people come up against unexpected physical difficulties or mental difficulties that the morale starts to dive. And I think if you can forestall some of that by heading it off at the pass and expecting certain places where it's going to happen um, observing how people are interacting together and making sure that you make any adjustments that you need to make there either directly or indirectly there are some subtle things that you can do people don't even realize what you're doing to just avoid tensions that are starting to build up 
or sometimes you have to say to people come on guys we just have to crack on here we have to just get stuck in and get on with it we're all in this together let's get going come on we signed up for this would you rather be here or at a desk or <laughs> give people a bit of perspective sometimes as well helps go yeah fair enough i'd rather be here in the pouring rain looking at this wonderful landscape than in a boring meeting at work or, or whatever it is sometimes it's just a bit of perspective that needs needs uh, is required to jolt people out of it so yeah some thoughts there And the other thing I would say about that just as well, there is, it's not all just about other people or the leader on the course to keep morale low. It's also kind of an individual responsibility to have a bit of a word with yourself sometimes and go, I'm, I'm, I'm just being in misery here. Um, I, I'm just being grumpy because my blood sugar's low. Um, I'm tired, yes, but this is actually what I wanted to be doing. You know, having a bit of a word with yourself and having that self-talk as well to 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 pause yourself up as well is important and encouraging other people to do that you know a lot of people have um different levels of self-talk and self-motivation and dialogues that go on in their own heads and i think just encouraging people to have the right sort as well is is good right this is a question from sean i think i've answered a similar question to this before sean about magnifying glasses for lighting tinders um but this is a voicemail from uh last sort of latter end of of last year um so we'll we'll see the question i've been asking in them is could you recommend magnifying glass that's not too flimsy and easily breakable uh, for fire lighting and one that's powerful enough where I can be close to the tinder instead of uh, trying to focus a point from from a distance uh, thanks very much cheers all right I have answered a very similar question to that before Sean I can't remember which episode it was in um, I'm afraid to say um, but yeah in terms of general points about magnifying glasses um clearly the bigger the area of glass that you've got the more light there's incident on it um the more energy is going to be focused into the focal point of that lens so that's that's one thing the magnification of the lens has an impact also the, the quality of the glass light transmission how much light how much energy gets through the glass in terms of the heat energy of the sun it's not too much of a an issue as long as you're not using the old bottom of a milk bottle when there used to be milk bottles that you found in the woods that scratched and very opaque um you know as long as you're using a half decent bit of glass that you can see through it's going to be fine in terms of light transmission um yeah, focal length of different lenses is different. Um, one one that I found quite good for carrying is you can get um, not the tiny, tiny little jeweler's loops that are in a little silver stainless steel cases or chromed cases, not those loops, but you can get a bigger one. Um, it's not really a jeweler's loop. It's a folding magnifying lens. I like it. Um, because it has like a black plastic case and um, with a pivot and the lens p swings around out of it so it sits in a in a pocket um, and it's not particularly big and it's quite useful for sort of looking at insects and um, details on on trees and plants when you're identifying buds and looking at details at flowers and anything you want to have a close look at so they're, they're often something you might carry with you and um 
I find those particularly good. I will try and, I know I bought it off Amazon um, and I really like it. I will try and find it on um, Amazon and I will put a link to it in the show notes, i.e. the notes below this video um, on my blog, Ask Paul Kirtley 62, okay? Um, but I like that one a lot. Um, it will light tinder and it's useful for a lot of other things as well and it folds down small it'll go in a pocket it would go in a survival kit if you wanted it to okay so good question from sean there here's a question from david bailey that's come via email as well this is about the dangers of wood smoke hi really appreciate the quality of all your online advice i wondered if there was any research about potential health risks of being exposed to regular wood-based fires thanks again david um well, in short uh without uh being able to recall the details the explicit details off the top of my head yes there is and in particular um People who use fires a lot uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, so people living in Africa who might be in enclosed spaces, um, there, there was definitely a move to, and there still is by some NGOs, to move people away from using uh, wood fires in enclosed spaces, particularly in huts. If you've ever been in a Maasai hut, for example, the whole inside of the hut is entirely blackened with smoke from cooking. Um, some of that is some of that smoky interior is there to to discourage insects from coming in as well of course in some of those places got to remember that but in terms of wood fire cooking on a day-to-day -day basis there was definitely a correlation between that and respiratory problems um potential carcinogenic effects of wood smoke in in, in an enclosed environment environment like that um and I know there's been some research done on that and there are some statistics on that and some of these um, wood burning stoves um, that you can get that also have a USB charging point on them, not the little ones that you can buy in outdoor stores in the UK and, and in Europe and other places um, where they're distributed, but the larger ones that were designed for use in those places in Africa, that's exactly why they were made. They would burn fuel more cleanly and there would be a an electricity uh, generation for charging mobile phones because one of the interesting things about a lot of places in in africa um that don't have mains electricity is that they've actually got decent mobile phone coverage but people have got no means of charging their phones um, and so that was a solution to two problems that they were facing in the communities there um, i will see if i can dig out any of the research that i've seen in passing um, and i will put a link in the uh, show notes to at least one piece of research or maybe something that can allow you to dive into that in more detail should you wish um, and I guess the reason you're asking the question is because as bushcraft people as outdoors people who like campfires the first question about fires on rock being a case in point um, is that we do need to be concerned about how much smoke we breathe in. Um, I'm very much concerned about how much smoke I breathe in. Um, I don't like being in enclosed spaces with lots of smoke in. Um, those of you that have done courses with me and we're sitting under the parachute and there's wet wood going on the fire and it's causing a huge amount of smoke, you know how irritated I get with that. Um, and I will encourage people to get rid of that and go and find some decent firewood. Um, dead, standing, dry material, or stuff that we've uh, that's been seasoned and that we've split out get that on the fire you've got a nice clean flame even if it's a relatively small fire minimal smoke even in something that's open-sided you can have quite a lot of smoke billowing up and down and round um, same with tarps 
and um, you know it's good to have the open sides but you want a relatively clean fire going underneath as well you don't want a horrible smoky fire uh, nobody wants to sit near a horrible smoky fire and then particularly if you're in enclosed spaces if you're in shelters that have um, you know natural shelter that benefits from a fire or even something like a traditionally traditional style teepee uh, tarp teepee or lavu or kota or, or whatever it is that you're staying in you know traditionally there's a fireplace in the middle there'll be a fire you'd be smoking your meats up at the top well, people would be lying down on the ground because the smoke comes down um, you don't be sitting up in the smoke you'd have to be lying down so that you were below the, the worst of the smoke um, and it's always been a consideration it's always been a, a concern and um, you also want to think about what you're burning on your fires that, that would be a big thing I don't like people burning plastic on fires when we're camping um, when we're sitting around the fire, even in the open, because you only need a slight breeze coming towards you and you're getting all of that uh, nasty carcinogenic smoke going into your lungs, that's not a good thing. Um, there are situations where we burn rubbish on trips, so for example when we're on some canoe trips, particularly in bear country, and um, we've got food, you know, we might have had vacuum packed meat or something, for example, um, we're gonna burn that stuff, but we burn it at the end of the day, um, and we make sure there's enough heat in the fire that it burns off quickly and it's burnt entirely, um, and we don't do it when everybody's sitting around trying to relax. We certainly don't burn rubbish when we're cooking, and that, again, that's something I, if you've been in camp with me, you know that I'm pretty vehement about. Don't burn paper, because you get ash in food, don't burn plastics, don't put cigarette butts, all of that stuff that's going to give off either nasty residues onto food or smoke into people's faces when they're trying to cook or ash that's going to go into things that is not pleasant. Don't do that. Save it for later. Burn it off later if you're going to burn it off. So some, some words of advice there. Last question. And the sun has gone in now, the sun has gone in, but the light's flatter, which is better for the contrast on the video camera. Differences between traditional scouting and modern bushcraft. Um, this is from Neiman uh, via email as well. Paul, I really enjoy your YouTube broadcasts. You have a very down-to-earth way of presenting honest material. I was in Boy Scouts in the 1960s. And we were under canvas and bivouacking with very basic gear. We were highly skilled in knife and axe craft, fire lighting with two matches, and cooking on open fires. Being self-sufficient, leave no trace had never been coined yet, but you could never find our campsite once we left it. So my question is, I really do not see any difference between what I learned then and the current bushcraft, in inverted commas, that is currently marketed now. Please could you explain if there are differences? Thanks, Neiman. Um, Fundamentally, I'd agree with the Neiman that there aren't any differences between a lot of what's in traditional camping um, and woodcraft in traditional scouting and what's um, put under the umbrella of bushcraft today. Um, I would recommend having a listen to the podcast interview that I did with Lisa Fenton um, about the, uh, the history of where bushcraft came from because I think you'll see that there's a, there's a big overlap, um, certainly in the context of bushcraft being um, expeditionary in nature, in terms of it being colonial in nature, 
um, where a lot of bushcraft came from in terms of those frontier times, in terms of people using it for military purposes to allow them to go into areas or to explore for various reasons, and where scouting came from. If you think about where scouting, scouting came from, if you think about the, the important figures in the history of scouting, um, Baden-Powell and Russell Burnham, those guys were scouts in the military sense and they had frontier experience in North America with Russell Burnham and Africa, particularly in the Boer War, and they brought those principles back and codified it into the beginning of what became the scouting movement. So there is massive overlap in where both of those things have come from. I think there was a diversion, my opinion, um, when I was in scouts in the 19 Cubs and Scouts in the late 70s and early 80s, um, there wasn't a huge amount of woodcraft and camping and those traditional skills that you would, if you open scouting for boys, a lot of those traditional skills, um, there wasn't a huge amount of that taught um, in my Cub and Scout troops because the people just didn't have the skills. And I think there was also a movement away. There were lots of badges for things um, that didn't involve any of those skills. You know, I had a cycle, I remember doing a cycle proficiency badge and a photography badge. I still love photography, I, you know, so I'm not complaining. I think one of my interests in photography goes right back to then. Um, but I think the pioneering and the woodcrafting and those sorts of things actually fell out of favour for quite a while in, in scouting. And I think it's had a resurgence latterly um, to an extent. And I certainly feel from the number of scout leaders who come on courses with me um, and who follow my materials online that I'm bringing some of that bushcraft back to some of those guys that want to take it to their to their scout troops as well. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think fundamentally there's a great deal of difference between the skill sets that you're talking about, Neiman, and the skill sets that we're talking about now. And I think the more we can do to share those and cross-fertilize and reignite um, some of those areas, the better. But go back and have a listen to that podcast I did with Lisa because I think that will answer the question in a little bit more detail. And I'm hoping to have Lisa back on a new podcast before too long as well. There's also a little bit with Lisa on um, some of those su subjects on the, um, I can't remember the episode number, but the one where we were at Bushcraft Festival in Sweden last year, we were both there as, as guests. Um, Lisa was doing a talk, um, which again covers a lot of what you're asking about and um, I was doing some firelighting uh, workshops and then we also recorded a bit for that multi-part, um, multi-person podcast that I did, um, including people like Harry Sepp as well. It's well worth a listen. So I'll put links to both of those in the notes below this episode of Ask Paul Kirtley. So if you find episode 62 of Ask Paul Kirtley on paulkirtley.co.uk, the links that I've talked about will be there. And I'll link to that main episode with Lisa on the YouTube video at the top of the screen here as well for people on YouTube. Go and have a listen. If you don't subscribe to the Paul Kirtley podcast already, please do. Um, if you like long form content, if you like listening to detailed, informative content, they're mainly conversations that I'm having with other people who are very knowledgeable, very experienced experts in their field. Um, you will gain a lot from that. Subscribe via your favorite platform, whether that's iTunes, Apple Podcasting app, um, Stitcher, um, and some of the other platforms as well that are all available now. Just search for the Paul Kirtley podcast on your favorite podcasting platform 
and you will find it there and you can subscribe and get the benefit of those as well because I take some time to get good guests on there and I take some time to have good quality conversations with them which anybody who's ever done interviews will know that you don't just turn up and do it off the top of your head there's some preparation um, involved there and I'm that's great for me because I learn things on those podcasts as well but I love sharing those as well because you get the benefit so if you're not already a subscriber to the Paul Kirtley podcast please please subscribe thank you right that brings us to the end of this episode thank you for listening thank you for your attention I'm going to continue on my walk now as I say it's forecast to rain later on so I'll get as much mileage in as possible also it's it's january when i'm recording this it gets dark quite early so i need to make the most of the day so hopefully that answered some of your questions please keep the questions coming in you know how to send them in if you don't go to my blog find ask paul Kirtley. there's a list of ways of sending the questions to me there and uh, i look forward to answering your questions on a future episode of ask paul Kirtley. and whatever you're doing in the outdoors take care and see you soon